Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. Copy God's Word. Once you find the book of Galatians, chapter 2 is where we're going to be at tonight. Again, if you're new to the Bible, Galatians is in the second half of your Bible. It's a really, really small letter that's tucked away in the New Testament, but I'm, I'm confident that you could find it. If you get the maps, just back up a little bit. You'll stumble upon Galatians. It's right in there in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right in there. Galatians chapter 2. I want you to follow along with us as you're turning there. I mean, I'm, I'm fired up about the late night tonight. Everybody's got the royal stuff on. I'm just so glad y'all showed up, showed out. Let's go. And, and I just love how sports kind of just bring us all together. Like the other day I was out to eat and, and a guy walked by my table and he's like, can you believe it? I'm like, oh, I believe what? I don't, you know, I'm like, I don't know you. We traded Tyreek Hill, man. What's going on? You know, <laughs> he's just like, like morning, and I, and I just like join him. Like, oh my gosh, why did we do that? You know, and I'm like, what did we get? And he's like, I don't know, five picks or something. I just, and he just stops off. I'm like, what was your name? You know, just, I didn't even know the guy, you know. And, and sports, they, they unite us. And, and sports in general, they, they bring us together. But there's one sport in particular. It's like the international sport. I mean, it is the sport that brings every culture together. And it's the, it's the sport of soccer. I don't know if you're a soccer fan or not, but uh, man, I... Okay, yeah, it's good. Um, I'm not much of a soccer fan. Um, I don't really understand the game a whole lot. I roomed with the, the captain of our soccer team in college. you think I would learn a little bit. And, but I, I was excited to, to move to Kansas City and learn that we have a, like an MLS. We have a, a professional soccer club here in Kansas City. And I, and I, for the first time, got to take my family to go see a sporting KC game. You can see us right here, me and my crew, representing me and my girls, you know. And they're all, my girls are like, Daddy, what does the yellow card mean? I was like, I don't know. Like, what, why are they hurt? I'm like, I just think they act a lot in soccer. I don't, I don't know. I don't think they're hurt, you know? And, and they're asking me, who are the orange people? And I think they're refs. You know, I'm just answering all these questions, but I really don't know what's going on. But man, we had a blast. And I love going to, to the stadium because, first of all, you get the cauldron, you know? I don't know if you've ever been there before. If you've ever been to Children's Mercy Stadium, I guess is what it's called. The cauldron is like, this is like the student section, but professional. You got grown men waving flags and chanting things I can't repeat in here, you know. And I mean, it was, it was awesome seeing that. And, and then just kind of looking around. I mean, soccer, unlike any other sport, it brings different cultures together. Soccer, unlike any other sport, it, it brings the rich and the poor together. It brings the young and the old together. Like there were more languages being spoken on Saturday night at this stadium than I can, I can even recall. And here's the best news about Saturday night. We won the game, y'all. We won the game, all right? I don't know if y'all know much about our Kansas City soccer team, but there's this guy named Johnny Russell. He's Scottish. Brother had me fired up, man. He was kicking, you know, kicking that soccer ball at the goal, left and right, and finally one went in, and we went berserk. I took a video of it, but it was going to make everybody nauseous because I'm like, ah, we're winning, you know, and I was getting ready to paint my face because Russell, he's Scottish. You know, I'm thinking like William Wallace. I'm like so fired up. I mean, it was amazing. We won the game. It was a nail-biter. It was incredible, and, and it got me thinking like, like soccer, again, it's this amazing sport where we all come together and we get to high-five and celebrate when we're winning or, or we all leave and we're mourning if we're losing. And, and it, it's this thing that just unites everybody together in an amazing way. But, but it, at the end of the day, it's just a game. Like, like we won Saturday night, but no one's called me since Saturday night that I went to the game with. And, and like it's just a game. And there's this moment where, where it's like, it's a palpable moment where you're like, we're in this together with thousands of people. 
like this is something bigger than just me and my family. Like we're all chanting. This is incredible. And it's something that's so enjoyable and I think that we're all drawn to. And I, and I start there tonight because that's innate to the human experience. Like the reason why sports, the reason why Saturday night was such a big deal up there at Sport and KC is because there's something inside of all of us that longs to be a part of something that's much bigger than just one of us. Like something where we can unite around a common goal. You know, something where we can, where we can celebrate when we're winning or we can mourn when we're losing and we can all be together in this something. And as great as the game of soccer is at building this sort of environment and binding people together, there's something that's even greater that we're gathered here tonight to talk about. And the thing that I'm talking about is the church of the living God, that God is on the move and he's been on the move for thousands of years. And he is building a team, if you will. He's building a club, if you will. He's building a movement that is compiled of thousands and millions of people that spans far beyond Lee Summit, Kansas City, the Midwest. That our stadium is the kingdom of God. Our MVP is Jesus. Our goal is to see lives changed by him. And the church is meant to unite people together to be a part of something so that we can run after the mission of God. And it's incredible. And the gospel is like the main message of the Bible. And the gospel is really like, it's like the ticket to get into the game. That the gospel, if that word's new to you, it literally means good news. And it's one of the most prevalent themes all throughout the Bible. And again, it is the main message of the Bible. So if we want to take the 66 books that are in this one Bible and all the thousands of pages and whittle it down to, to one, like what is the main thing? What is this thing all about? It is about the gospel. And the gospel is the good news about the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, his ascension, and one day his return. And how you and I can have a right relationship with God through putting our faith in Jesus. In this book, Galatians, like it, re it really represents this, this thing that we're talking about, the gospel. Like this, this book of Galatians, it's, it's not really to a church called Galatia. It's not to a people called Galatia. It's more like a region. And one of the most beautiful things, a little backstory about what's going on with the people in this region, is that there's a guy named Paul, the guy that actually wrote this letter, and he actually went on a tour in this area, and he was starting churches. He was sharing the gospel. He was sharing this message, and people were putting their faith in Christ, and he was like, hey, the goal of the gospel is to, is to unite you to God and then unite you to one another, and so we, we should form some churches. And so he goes to like Lystra and Derby and Lyconium, and then he goes to this place called Antioch. And Antioch is to Galatia like Kansas City is to the Midwest. Makes sense? So Galatia's a region. Antioch's one of the towns in that region, one of the cities in that region. And, and it's in Antioch that the gospel begins to do work and unite people in a way that it hasn't really united people yet in human history. Like, like historians, they look at Antioch and the way that Antioch was laid out, it was laid out like a waffle. Y'all ever heard of waffles? I like waffles. I had chicken and waffles the other day, praise God. Anyway, a waffle. And so the, there were these walls laid out like a waffle and the different cultures lived inside of those walls within the city. And so you had like the African court, and they lived within these walls. And then you had like the, the Jewish people, they lived within these walls. And you had like the, the, the Galatian people or the, the European people, the barbarian, whatever, they lived in these walls. You had the Asians that lived in these walls. And pretty much, by and large, in Antioch, they just kind of stuck, they, 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 they stuck to themselves. They didn't really cross-pollinate. They didn't unite much. But then Paul goes to Antioch. And he starts to preach the gospel. He starts to tell people how you can be united with God and how when you're united with God, God wants you to unite with other people as well. 
And in Antioch, what happens, history tells us that the gospel begins to break down those cultural walls. So much so that when you read the history of the church, it's in Antioch first that the disciples of Jesus are given the name Christian. So if you've ever heard that word, are you a Christian? That word is a description of the disciples that were originally in Antioch. And what the people saw them doing is he, the people saw that these people were loving people that weren't like them. The old were loving the young. The, the, the black were loving the white, and vice versa. The rich were loving the poor, and vice versa. Like there was, this, there was this team being built in Antioch, and people said, well, what's, what's up with this? It's like, oh, they're, they're little Christs. They're Christians. And so Paul, he's writing to this group of churches, Antioch being one of them, because what happened is that what once connected these people was now starting to unravel and get a little bit twisted. But tonight, we're jumping back into this letter to the church of Galatia, or the, or the Galatian churches, Antioch being one of them, and I'm so excited to see what God has to say to us from Galatians chapter 2. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled this message, The Goal of the Gospel. The Goal of the Gospel. And the goal of the gospel, to be clear, is to unite us with God and with one another. And tonight, we're going to see from God's word, we're going to see the gospel clarified, and we're going to see the gospel verified Again, Paul, in this letter, he's already talked about how he had this radical life change. If you don't know much about Paul, he went from being a persecutor of the church, a terrorist to the church, to having his life radically changed by Jesus, and then now being the greatest planter of churches. And he started some churches in this region, again called Galatia, but they started adding to the grace of God. Like they got the message that Paul gave them, they got it twisted, and they said, yeah, yeah, we've got God's grace, but you also need to have this in order to be right with God. And Paul's writing them saying, hey, hey, when you add anything to the grace of God, it ceases to be grace altogether. And so Paul already, he's reminded them of what the gospel is. He's reminding them of how Jesus has changed his life and that he received this gospel from Christ, and so he's legit. And then he tells them in chapter one, and then I went up and I kicked it with this guy named Peter. More on him in a minute, but he's kind of a big deal. We got on the same page, and then I launched out into these areas, and I started planting these churches for several years. And then we pick up in chapter two, starting in verse one. And here's what it says. Since then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. And I went up there with Barnabas, and also I took Titus with me. Now, Barnabas is one of Paul's best friends. Like, Barnabas is one of his ride or dies. One of his guys that, like, when Paul was setting out to go do some pioneer stuff, Barnabas is like, I'm with you, bro. And so, like, they both followed Christ, and they were both in it to win. You may think, like, President VP. This is Paul and Barnabas, and they were guys. They, they rolled out. They did some crazy stuff together, and it says that, that Titus was with them, too. And Titus is like Paul's apprentice. So, eventually, in Paul's life, Paul's going to train up Titus to do kind of what Paul's doing. And so, this is the crew that went up to Jerusalem. It says this in verse 2. And I went up by revelation, and I, and I communicated to them, the people in Jerusalem, I communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. That's a key phrase. And he says, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest it, by any means I might run or had run in vain. Like Paul's saying, I went up there because I'd already been preaching this message. Like I had started churches based upon this message of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return, and, and I told them that it's by grace that you're saved, and he's like, I, I had to go make sure, I felt like I needed to make sure we were still all on the same page because I didn't want to have to like start all these churches in vain. He's like, I didn't want to run, have run all this and spent all this time and spent the last five to seven years of my life just for nothing. That's what he's saying. And he goes on in verse three, and it says, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. 
So he's saying, like, when I went there, they, they didn't even ask Titus to be circumcised. Now, this is going to be a little bit weird, y'all. The Bible's written in a different culture, and they're going to talk a lot about circumcision. If you don't know what that is, don't Google it, all right? Just ask a friend. They'll go old school with that, and, uh, and then we'll just move on. But, but this is a key theme, and so we're, we're going to be talking about this awkward but necessary thing to talk about because the Bible talks about it. So um, when they met Titus, they were like, oh, because Paul's talking about going and hanging out with some Jewish people. And Jewish people, they got Jewish names. And so when they met Titus, they were like, Titus, that's not a Jewish name. That's a Greek name. That's a Roman name. And so immediately, the people that were Jewish, when they met Titus, they were, they were probably dapping him up, and they're like, wow, Titus, you're, you're one of us? He's like, yeah, man, I'm one of y'all. And they would have thought, man, you would have gone through some serious ceremonial things that all of us had to go through, but we were babies when we went through that, i.e. circumcision. And they would have met Titus and be like, Titus, bro, you, you went through this in order to be with us? That's what they would have thought, because they thought you had to go through ceremonial things in order to be right with God. So when they dapped Titus up initially, they would have thought, wow, this brother's paid the price, all right? And, and, and so what happened was people were like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know any adult man that would have done that. And, and so like, uh, apparently they snuck into the locker room or, or the bathroom or something. And here's what it says. It's kind of weird, but it goes on. It says in verse 4, and this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in. These are the guys that are suspicious about Titus. It says, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, i.e. that Titus hadn't been circumcised. That's what the liberty means there. Which we have in Christ Jesus. That they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. And Titus wiped his brow and said, thank God. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So again, these guys snuck in and they're like, they realize Titus is not circumcised, however that happened. And, uh, and then they, they're like, no, 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 this guy can't be a Christian. He can't be right with God because he hasn't gone through all the Jewish things. And what they thought was that the gospel meant that you converted to some ceremonial things and you got Jesus. But Paul was writing to the people in Galatia, or Galatia because this idea had gotten out and it was, it was changing and warping and distorting the pure gospel. And so Paul, again, what he's doing here is he's just clarifying the gospel. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write this down. The gospel clarified. The gospel clarified. When we started this series in Galatians, I told y'all, we're gonna be talking about the gospel on every page. Like, this is gonna be a gospel on repeat. And so my hope is that you will leave over the next few weeks, and if somebody says, hey, what's the main message of the Bible? You'll be like, it's da-da-da, it's da-da-da. You know, you'll just be able to repeat it and be able to share with people the heart of the Bible. And Paul, he's fighting for the purity of the gospel. Again, the gospel is the main message of the Bible. It's in reference to the life, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension that Jesus is Lord of Lords and his soon return one day and how our life connects with this wonderful truth that Jesus has come to save you. And when we put our faith in his work, it makes us right with God. See, the goal of the gospel is to unite us to God and to one another. And so Paul, like he's clarifying the gospel with them. Like he, he, he had fought for the truth that what makes us right with God is what Jesus has done period. And Paul's saying you cannot add anything to what, the, what Jesus did on the cross. Like these guys, they were hating on Titus. And what they were saying is like, he can't be right with God. Like he, he hasn't kept the law. Like for them, circumcision, what it represented was ceremonial laws that existed to help people become right in the eyes of God. What they thought was this, that in order for you to be right with God on the inside, you had to have everything right by God on the outside. 
They thought this. They thought that you had to keep all of the rules in order to be right with God. They thought this. They thought that the goal of, of Jesus coming was to, was to kind of like set you up and then, and then you would make the final thing to get you into heaven. Like they thought that Jesus was kind of like, he, he was kind of to give you like an assist, you know? Like, like when my guy Johnny made that goal, somebody kicked him the ball and then he kicked it in the goal and the person that kicked him the ball, that's called an assist. And a lot of, a lot of the people in this culture, they thought, well, Jesus came and he came to get, get us in the right position. He, he came to do about 90% of the heavy lifting and then, and then we've got to put our effort into it and we've got to get the last 10% that they thought that in order to be right with God, you had to obey all of the rules in order to be saved, that you had to understand the moral code that God's laid out, and you had to do that perfectly in order to be right with God. What do y'all think it is inside of us that keeps wanting to add things to the grace of God? Like their issue is really our issue. Like there's this tendency inside of all of us to want to add our effort to what makes us right before God. I'll talk with people and I'll share the gospel, the main message of the Bible, and I'll look at them and I'll say, there's nothing that you can do to have right standing before God. And I'll go through some of the big lists. Like, like a lot of people, they think I'm gonna be good enough and that when I die, I'm gonna stand before God as my judge and he's gonna put my good deeds on this side of the scale and my bad deeds on this side of the scale and as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'm gonna be all good. And I'll just share with them, I'll say, hey, as lovingly as I can say this, your biggest problem with that logic is the Bible. Like the Bible says this, no one is good. And so if you think that your good deeds are good enough to make you right before God, and you just needed Jesus kind of to give you the little bit of an assist, you haven't read the Bible, and you're basing your faith and your eternity and your version of Christianity on something that's not biblical, and I would caution you of that. And then a lot of people think, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to be really, really devout. I'm going to be really, really religious. And I'll just say, you know, a lot of people, they believe that if I, if I go to this church at this time and do this thing, if I pray this direction and, 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 I, and I pray several times a day and I ask this certain prayer, or if I walk this path, if I do this like really devout religious thing and, and God will see the sincerity of our heart and he'll look at all of the religious people and say, wow, it's all basically us working up to this mountain and it's all kind of the same thing, just different paths. If that's your mentality, I'll just look at them and say, you're trying to add something to the grace of God. You're trying to add something to the gospel. And as lovingly as I can tell you this, your biggest problem is the Bible. That, that Paul, he's clarifying the gospel because these guys are wanting to say, you've got to keep the ceremonial laws and you've got to follow Jesus and that's what makes you right before God. And Paul's saying, no, 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 the grace of God, it is a free gift that there's nothing that you can add to the gospel. So I'll talk with people and I'll say, you know, why is this so hard to believe? Like the gospel is hard to believe because it's like, okay, you're telling me that I'm separated from God, that I've made some mistakes or I've sinned, the Bible calls it sin, and, and, and I'm, I'm not perfect, God's perfect, and I, and I can't do anything to get to him. And I'm like, yeah, that's what the Bible teaches. And, and people say, so, so all I do is receive the grace of God. I'm like, yes, it's hard to... The gospel is hard to believe at times because you make zero contribution to make you right with God. And it's hard to believe because we all want to contribute. Like if, if I helped you out, if you were broke down on the side of the road, you would want to take me to Sonic and get me a slushie or something, right? You'd want to give me a gift card. You'd want to do something in return because it's hard just to simply receive a gift. And the gospel 
is a pure gift from God that you and I, we could never repay God for this great and glorious gift. That's why it's called amazing grace. It's a free gift, and Paul's fighting for this. He's saying we've got to keep circling and clarifying that this is the gospel and that the goal of the gospel is to connect you in a right relationship with God and then connect you and unite you with one another. That Paul is clarifying the gospel. He said in verse two, he said this, that I communicated that gospel I preached to among the Gentiles. What gospel did you preach, Paul? If, if this is such a big deal and we're, we're writing a whole letter that's now in the Bible about what is that gospel that you preached? Well, if you look at other parts of the Bible, you understand clearly the gospel that Paul preached. The, the, Paul, he, he wrote this, wrote this to a church, similar to the churches that are in Galatia. He says this, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That you may have come in here tonight and you may have a lot of good things going on for you, but I don't think any of us would come in here tonight and say, you know what, I'm perfect, right? Like, that would be arrogant, right? And then, then you would be a sinner because you claim to be perfect. You'd be lying and arrogant at the same time, right? Like, we've all come in here and I think we would all agree that there's something broken in our world, and there's something broken inside of us. In the Bible, the Bible calls it sin, and it says that we've all sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. God is perfect, and we are not. In the scripture, Paul, the, the, the gospel he preached, he would go on to write that the wages for our sin is death. It's not, it's not like a, a punishment, you know, that's, you know, it's not like a timeout. It's not a prison sentence that you're going to get out. Like the, the punishment for your, the payment for your sin is death. That you and I, because of our sin, we stand condemned before a holy and righteous God because we've sinned against his standard. And so Paul, this is what he taught. He said that the, we've all sinned, the wages of our sin is death. But then he goes on and he talks about how this is the good part of the good news. He says, but God has a free gift. It's a gift of grace that he wants to extend to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, and he goes on to write, he's like, man, while we were all sinners, me included, while we were all sinners, and we didn't even think about God, we didn't even want anything to do with God, we were actively running in rebellion against God, Christ died for us. That this salvation plan, it was set in motion even when we were living a life of sin and aggressively pursuing a life counter to the calling of God. And Paul would write, this is the good news. That even while we were yet sinners, Christ, he died for us. And that the gospel is that Jesus lived the life that he claimed to live, a perfect, sinless life. And that he died according to the scriptures. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. And Paul would tell people that in these churches, just like I'm telling you right now, that the way that you receive the gospel is that you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the grave and you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved. This is how you access that gift. This is how you open your hand and receive it. And he goes on to say that for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, that the movement of Christ, it is narrow, it is through the gate of Jesus Christ, but it is an invitation to all, 
This is not a, here's some tips and tricks so that you can be an okay person and we're going to help you be a better person. That the gospel is not God trying to take, you know, bad people and make them good people. The gospel is not just a movement for the spiritually strong who are self-disciplined. The gospel is trying to take spiritually dead people and make them alive people. And Paul is circling this and saying that the gospel that I preached to the Gentiles is dependent and the foundation of it is the grace of God. And so he vows for Timothy. He's like, Timothy doesn't need to be circumcised. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't need to do anything to be right with God other than put his faith in Christ. Now, God's law still matters. And God's not just saying, yeah, just rip that part out of your Bible. God's law, it still matters and we should submit to it, but it is not the means of our salvation that Paul's clarifying tonight. He's saying Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That our salvation and what makes us right before God is not what we have done, but it's our faith in what Jesus has done. And Paul, he goes on and he says this in verse six. He says, but from those who seem to be something, I love this, I love Paul's kind of like, I don't care who you are. He says, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they are, it makes no difference to me. Because God, he shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something, they added nothing to me. He's like, I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care how many Bible verses you have memorized. I don't care how educated you are. I don't care what family you come from. If you mess with the pure gospel, you are nothing to me. Paul is drawing a line in the sand. And men and women of God, we should stand up and we should die on certain hills. And the integrity of the gospel is a hill that is worth dying on that there's been blood that has been shed over the precious words that are in this book, that we are standing on the ground that has been saturated by the blood of the martyrs that stood up for what they saw in the resurrected Christ and that throughout history have protected to preserve the purity that what makes man right before God is not what he does, but what Christ has done. And Paul's saying, you wanna mess with that message? You want, to, you want to mess with the purity of the gospel? I don't care who you are. I love, I love Paul. He ain't no punk. I love it. I love it. Anyway, he says, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised, when he, when he saw that they had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, and that's his way of saying the gospel for those that aren't Jews had been committed to me for, so I could reach those guys. And then the same gospel that was for the Jews had been committed to Peter he says, for who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship. Again, that's just a big word that means leader with authority, sent out one. He says, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles or the non-Jews. He says this, and when James and Cephas, Cephas is Peter's second name. He says, when James and Peter and John, these are like the big three, and Paul says this, who seem to be pillars, when they perceived that the grace that had been given to me they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. This is a really big deal. We'll talk about it here in just a second. And he says this, that we should go to the Gentiles or the non-Jews, and they go to the circumcised or the Jews. And it says this, they just desired only that we should remember the poor. And that was the very thing which we were also eager to do. So you get the picture, right? Like Paul's like, I don't care who you are. I don't, if you mess with the gospel, I'm gonna walk up to you like Will Smith and slap you, all right? I mean, that's how Paul's walking right here, okay? He's like, I don't care. I'm no respecter of somebody that's going to water down or change the purity of the gospel. 
And he says, you know, he's like, let me just remind you guys in Galatians that I've been under attack before and, and I took my message that I've been preaching to these guys about the grace of God and I went to the big three, you know, the big three. If, if you're new to the Bible and you read names like James and Cephas and John or Peter or whatever, you're like, I don't know who these guys are, but apparently if they were written in the letter, they're a big deal and they are a big deal. This is like the big three. And these are the guys that like follow Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples and then he had three of the inner circle and these were the guys. They got like a front row seat on Jesus doing some really amazing things. And, and it's incredible that Paul would, would say, I, I went to those guys and what he's saying is that I verified the gospel. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you could write this down. The gospel verified. The gospel verified. Again, Paul is proving his due diligence of the links that he's went through to preserve and protect the integrity of the gospel that he preached to this church. And so he's like, I went to these guys and I said, hey, this is what I've been sharing with these guys. And they said, what, hey, hot dog, we're on the same team. And they shook Paul's hand and it says that they were given the right hand of fellowship. Now this is kind of church speak for saying, hey, you're one of us. You're with us now. You sit at my table. Your message is the same message that I'm speaking. Your message may be, it may be tweaked a little bit in a vernacular to meet the, the non-Jewish person, but it's the same gospel. It's the gospel that's contingent upon the grace of God in faith alone. That you put your grace in, or you put your faith in God in grace alone, rather, and that you follow Jesus. And this is what makes you right with God. It says that in verse 9 that they gave them the right hand of fellowship. Again, you're one of us, we're on the same team. That they had fact checked the message that Paul was preaching, and they saw the life change that it brought in Titus, regardless of whether or not he was Jewish. Again, the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is not to make people Jewish. The goal of the gospel is to connect people to Christ and to one another. And Paul's telling these people in Galatia, to the churches in Galatians, he's saying that the problem is that y'all aren't understanding that I've already been dealing with this. I've already dealt with it. And the gospel that I preached to you, it's legit. And it was signed off by Peter, James, and John. And we're all bros. We're all on the same team. And Paul, he taught what makes someone right with God is faith alone, in Christ alone, in his cross alone, in the resurrection alone. It's not what you do that makes you right with God. It's all about what Jesus has done. And if you add anything to the gospel, you're disagreeing with the guys that started the church. If we get this thing wrong, we're disagreeing with the people that followed Jesus. Now, maybe you're sitting here going, man, what, why are you so fired up, bro? Like, I'm just trying to get a date tonight, or I'm just trying to pay my bills, or I'm just, I'm just trying to get to late night. Like, I, like you are, bro, you are aggressive tonight. You know, I, I don't know, like, I don't know if you're sitting here thinking that. And, like, what's the big deal? Why do we have to be so, like, protective and lying in the sand? Let's go to war on this hill. Like, you know, I don't know if you're thinking that. And what does this have to do with me? Well, well here, here's what it has to do with you. There's a tendency in all of us to change the criteria of what it means to be a Christian. And so like, here, here's what we'll do. Like we, we've come in here, most of us are Americans, and the, the American way is, you don't tell me what to do, I do what I wanna do, you know? That's the American way, right? We'll come in here, and so when it comes to Christianity, there's a tendency for us to invent a version of Christianity that's just not in the Bible. Like we'll, we'll kind of create this sort of form of Christianity where we'll have forgiveness from God, but then we can look at pornography and touch ourselves in whatever ways we want to. 
Like we'll kind of invent this version of Christianity where we'll have like the grace of God, but we can do with our girlfriend or our boyfriend, whatever we want to do. Like we'll have this version of Christianity where, you know, like because I had this experience with God and I've got to go to this certain place that's like my Christian Mecca and I've got to have this like anointed and we'll like use all of these words to think that that's what's going to help me like get closer to heaven and like there's stuff that I've got to go through and like there's this tendency for us to kind of twist and manipulate Christianity and what it means to be a Christian. I think we, we have a, a tendency to fall into two categories. One category is that there's this tendency to want to make this thing called Christianity trendy. And what we'll do is that we'll, we'll read parts of the Bible and be like, it's just, it's different times now. That's not relevant anymore. And so we, we need to kind of go through some verbal gymnastics to try to figure out how we can explain that what the Bible's clear on, how that's irrelevant anymore and how God just kind of, he, he meant it back then, but he doesn't mean it today. And so like one of the ways that we'll do this is we'll read about miracles in the Bible. And, and we have a scientific society and we'll think, well, Surely those are just kind of exaggerations and they, you know, and maybe the people weren't as sophisticated back then. And, and so we'll, we'll want to cut out miracles because we want to contemporize the Bible and we want to make it a little more trendy. Or we'll read some of like the moral ethics and the moral codes, the moral laws in the Bible. And, and we'll say, you know what, it really doesn't matter if you uphold those things. And God, he was, he was really fired up about that, but, but that was a different society. We'll start thinking this way. And what will happen is that we'll kind of say, okay, Christianity, it doesn't really matter about the message so much, but it matters about you just being a good person. Like, you just need to be tolerant, you just need to be loving, and that's what it means to be a Christian. And this camp is traditionally called a liberal camp, liberalism, where you take the the theology that is meant to be conservative, meant to be true, meant to be rigid, and you kind of make it flexible. Or the other camp is that you'll fall into a camp called traditionalism. And you'll make Christianity about your tradition. And, and like if you've got to have this form of church and you've got to have these certain policies and procedures and you'll make your faith traditions non-negotiables and this is the ditch called legalism. And so legalism, what it says is that real Christians always do things this way. And if you don't do things this way, you're not a real Christian. That's what was going on in Galatians. Like they were saying, if you don't abide by the Jewish laws and the ceremonial laws and, and don't eat bacon and, and you got to have the right, you know, different surgeries and like you've got, and then that's, that's what's going to make you safe before God. Well, they were legalists. And again, the other one is liberalism and it's that real Christianity is, you know, we really don't know what it is, you know, it's kind of fluid and it kind of changes with the times. It really, it doesn't even matter what you believe. Like don't get so fired up about the Bible. Just, just be a good person. And both of these are wrong. And Paul, he's written this letter, and he's captured the history of the great links that he and James and John and Peter, the great links that these early church leaders went through to preserve the gospel. That Paul, he's writing to this group of people, he's saying, you don't twist this, you don't change this. And he's saying that this gospel message that I preach to you that God has grace for you, that you can be forgiven, that you can have new life in Christ. This gospel I preach to you, it's been verified by the guys that follow Jesus. That the gospel has been verified in this context, but has it been verified in your life? 
Now, I know some of y'all have done checking out my J's tonight. I know y'all saw, you know, well, y'all let me get these in the camera real quick. Okay, I'm going to stress this quad. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm usually in boots, but tonight, gotcha, you know, gotcha, you know, just them J's. You know? <laughs> let me just drop my Bible down here. Look at that. You know, <laughs> all the tags still on them. My bad. I didn't know that. So, um, I borrowed these. And my guy told me, he said, look, man, those aren't real. <laughs> so before you start trying to put me on preachers and sneakers, if you know what that is, they ain't real, all right? Don't put me in that camp. You know, so it's like from, from y'all see, like, y'all thinking, wow, that brother got, he got the fearless on, you know? Come on, you know, you know, sneakerheads out here. I know there's some sneakerheads. I done seen your feet tonight, some sneakerheads in the house. But, but if you're a sneakerhead, here's what you know. You know, if you get close enough, you're like, no, nah, them ain't real, you know? And, and if, you, if you look close enough, you can realize and you can verify whether or not these are authentic J's. And, and now it'd be crazy if I'd come here tonight and I like was dapping y'all up in the lobby, lobby space and we at the after party and I, you know, we're just talking and, and uh, you're like, man, some J's. I'm like, yeah, you know, got these, cop these the other day and, you know, and just, and I started like acting like, yeah, my, you know, my wife, she want to give me a birthday gift, but then we took out a loan, you know, so I could buy them and. And I started like acting like they were like they were for real, you know. And then like if you're a sneakerhead and you start looking like, bro, the stitching ain't right or whatever you look at to make sure that they're right, you would be like, bro, you're 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 walking in a lie. And and if I try to pretend like these were these were right and they were real and they were authentic, but they haven't been verified, I would be walking in a lie. Like, like, if I if I was like, no, no, no this is legit. And you're like, no, 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 this is, no. I, I verify fact check. This is not legit. And the reason why I share this with you is because many of you have come in here tonight, and you're walking in a cheap version of faith. Like you've come in here tonight, and the version of faith that you're walking in has not changed your life. Many of you have come in here tonight. And you're walking in a lie because you haven't seen the living God work in your life. And your version of faith, it may be comfortable. Your version of faith, it may be trendy and stylish. Your version of faith may be something that looks good from a distance. But many of you, deep down inside, you know it's fake. And you've got some similar words. You're in, a, you're in a faith place, but you know deep down inside you haven't surrendered your heart over to Christ. And when you get a sneakerhead for the gospel to begin to look at your life, they determine that your faith is a knockoff. And we can wear J's and pretend like, you know, they're real J's and that's okay. We can get away with that. But you don't want to pretend like your faith is legit and then realize one day that it's not. Have you put your faith in the finished work of Christ and trusted his finished work on the cross and his resurrection as your only hope for salvation? If you're trying to take that and then add some sort of works to it, it's a knockoff version of faith. And you are walking in a lie. 
Paul, he's verifying the gospel tonight, and he's telling them that I fact-checked this thing. That the gospel, the main message of the Bible is about the grace of God freely given to the men of the world and the women of the world. See, when you walk in Christ, the way you know that it's a legit faith is that, is that you're connected to God and to others. That's the goal of the gospel. When you walk in Christ, you're living out the gospel in the way that you are secure in your forgiveness. That when you walk in Christ, you know that you're loved by Almighty God. When you walk in Christ, you know that you're no better than anybody else because you desperately needed God's love and his forgiveness, just like the whole world does. That when you walk in Christ, you are walking in the power of the, of the living God. Therefore, you begin to take steps away from those things that have you enslaved. That when you're walking in Christ, you get free from your porn addiction. You get free from your discontentment and your singleness. You get free from your bitterness towards your ex. You get free from your addiction to technology. You get free from your whatever the issue is that you're facing. Not perfectly, but progressively, because you're walking in the power of God. And the power of God that saved you is the same power of God that wants to change you. And so Paul, he's verifying this gospel. And he's saying, we got the right message with Peter, James, and John. And oh yeah, my guy Titus, his life has been changed. See, Paul would write later, later that the kingdom of God, the followers of Christ, the power of this is not seen in the rhetoric of man. The power of the kingdom of God is not seen in the wisdom of man. That the power of the kingdom of God is seen in the life change of men. Has the gospel changed your life? If the gospel has not changed your life, then I don't know that you have the right gospel. See, the verified gospel is the life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, ascension, and his soon return. And when you put your faith in that gospel, it changes you from the inside out. How do I know? We don't have time for me to tell you the stories. But I'll just talk about one from last night. A guy named Nick Pearson. He serves in our ministry. And we're saying, woo, and clapping because Nick was a wreck apart from an almighty God. And he grew up hearing about how God loved him and how he had a plan for his life. And then early on as a middle schooler, he starts getting exposed to opportunities to take this, to smoke this, to try this. And much like many of you and many of us, we were given that opportunity and some gave into that. Nick went on to start abusing drugs. If you've ever done drugs or ever given into drugs, you know that, man, that's not going anywhere good fast. And Nick found himself in a very dark place. He found himself really left for dead. I'm not over-exaggerating. Nick, he found himself in a place where he's like, man, I, 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 need, I need God. And he had all the right information, but he was walking in a fake faith. He came to a point where he heard the gospel. And he'd probably heard it countless times. But sometimes we have to hear something over and over and over for us finally to go, oh, I get it. And God opened up his heart and he, and he saved him. And then he began to heal him and deliver him from a life of addiction. And we, yeah, go ahead, go ahead and clap, go ahead and clap. 
And if he was up here saying, if he was up here sharing his testimony, he would say, may all of your applause be to the glory of God because I was dead in my sin. But the power of God is on display and the grace of God is on display in the way that it changes people's lives like Nick's. You may be here tonight and you may be where Nick was a few years ago. And you may be, you may be thinking to yourself, man, I should not have come tonight and I'm like the last person that God could ever save. And I would just tell you that when you put your faith in Christ and you believe in the biblical gospel, listen, God can save anybody. And he can meet you right where you are tonight. And you may have come in here feeling like you are so distant, like on another planet from this God that you've maybe heard about. And you maybe feel like you've injected things, smoked things, taken things. Maybe you have some things in your heart. You've never done anything bad, but you just know you're bitter towards somebody. You may be thinking, God can't love this. He loves you. And he can change you tonight. That God can do more in a moment than you and I could do in a lifetime. And that the grace of God is being extended and offered to all that are here tonight. It's God's grace. Then maybe others of you are thinking, that's, that's not fair. That's not fair. I've been following Jesus my whole life. It's not fair that a guy like Nick can just get grace like that. That's not fair. And I would say, yeah, it's not fair. <laughs> that the gospel is not fair. And the fact that you know Jesus and for you to have that disposition that it's not fair that that person can just get forgiven of their abortion or whatever you've deemed to be some sort of bad sin, you don't understand your need for Christ. And you don't understand the unfairness of the gospel. The gospel is this. The Bible teaches that Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, came from heaven and he died. The righteous for the unrighteous and none of us deserved it. And so to rightly align us all tonight, when one person comes to Christ, I don't care if you've been following him your whole life, there should be a part of you that's like, that's what I'm talking about. The goal we scored. God saved another person. He saved another wretch just like me. At the game, man, it was epic, y'all. Like, when we went to this Sporting KC game, I was like, let's go. Because I get a call, and the guy's like, hey, man, I've got, like, this table that you can sit at. And, um, and so I'm like, all right, go on, go on. He, sent me, he starts sending me pictures. He's like, man, it's, it's like midcourt field, whatever you call it. And so he's like, right there. And, and so like, I'm like, all right, all right. And so I finally, it's like, yeah, man, let's do it. Let's get it on the calendar. So I get my kids together. I'm like, hey, we're going to a soccer game. And I don't know exactly all that means, but here's what I do know. It's going to be awesome. And so we load up in the minivan and we go up there to the speedway and we park like in the VIP parking lot, y'all. VIP, all right? I'm in the blue lot. I'm like, holla, you know. In my minivan, they're like, this is kind of confusing. Like, you're, you're driving a Kia, but you're parking in the really rich parking lot. Anyway, so I park there, and I get out, and I'm walking like I own the place. I'm like, this way, you know. I walk up to the VIP lounge. I show him my ticket. He's like, actually, sir, you're over there. I was like, yeah, I knew that. See you, Sean. You know, I, like I know him. Anyway, and so I go around, and we finally, like, go through all the chaos, and, and, and we're sitting at this table, and it was like all you can eat. So, like, we sit at this table. We got swivel chairs. I'm swiveling, you know. And we get the menu, and the lady comes, and she's like, what do you want? I was like, she's like, what would you point to? I was like, 
We ordered everything on the menu, y'all. I don't drink, but I eat. Come on now. And so, uh, so they're bringing out food, and my kids like, we got popcorn and peanuts and Coke, and we got fried chicken, and we got like an Asian fried chicken, and we got like tacos, and we got like, cheap nachos, and we got all this stuff, man. It was amazing. We won the game. You know, we left. We got to go to the cool parking lot. It was awesome. We get in the car, and my, my middle daughter, Elizabeth, she's eight. And she's just sitting back there, and we're driving home. And she said, we were like kings and queens tonight. I said, that's right, baby. How did I get my people into the stadium? I was given a gift. We were being served by this waitress, and my wife is like, we need to tip them. We need to tip her. We need to give her a tip. And I'm like, I can't give her a tip. There's no cash at the Children's Mercy Stadium. And she's like, you need to give her a tip. And I said, it's all been paid for. That the only way I was able to enter into the stadium, the only way I was able to be a part of the cauldron church, if you will, the only way I was able to have all of this like king and queen type royalty treatment was because somebody paid my way. And I'm trying to tell you that God is going to treat you like a king or a queen for eternity. But only, note this, only if you receive the gift of the ticket to get you into the stadium. And there's nothing And so my prayer tonight is that for some of you, you would receive that gift. And for others of you, there would be something stirred up in your heart tonight where you would celebrate that you're already a part of the greatest movement known in all of human history, the church of the living God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you just for this opportunity to be able to open up your word and for us to be able to see how the gospel that Paul clarified and that he verified and that he fought for is the most wonderful message and the most wonderful news that any of us could surrender our life to. That we can be right with you, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, that you can move into our life and a holy God can take up residence in an unholy vessel simply because we said, I need your grace. I repent of my sin. I recognize I'm not strong enough to save myself. I recognize I, I'm not disciplined enough to keep the whatever ceremonial laws there are. And when we would admit our need for you, that you would freely move into our life, wow, what a wonderful gospel, what a wonderful Savior that we could sing to. And God, I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know that truth, that you would not let them out of the grip of your grace until they've surrendered their soul to your salvation. In Christ's name I pray, amen.